Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Critical Math Drop podcast with your favorite math teachers, Carrie Coca and Michelle Cody. Hi, Michelle. Carrie. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Um, it's been a, it's been, um, it's been an interesting, like, new year so far. Yeah, I just saw your, uh, Facebook post. I know. <laughs> I just I liked it. just feel like there might be people who have been sending me messages. Well, and... hopefully, are you going to get everything though once the phone works again? Okay, just for clarification, y'all, my screen cracked a couple weeks ago, and I was fighting with my provider to fix my phone at a reasonable rate. Um, I have successfully done that, but now I have to wait for a technician. Oh, but they're going to fix it for you because it was their fault. It It was their fault that they stopped the protection plan. yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, here we are. And, um, yeah, so, well, that's good news. It is good news. It's good news because eventually I get my phone back. I mean, um, yeah. So today we have a, we're starting off the year pretty heavy. Yeah. Um. Yeah, our episode this week is talking about uh Gaza, Palestine, and gun control. From and uh, as you know, we are a numerical based podcast, so our goal is to create social justice opportunities for people to see numbers through truth. And are also to increase critical thinking and also see the mathematician in everybody. And so that is our goal all the time. And um, this aligns with our goal. So, yeah. Do you want to you wanna take sure. a look? Sure. Yeah. And, you know, like Michelle said, um, we are passionate about issues of justice and when that's the case there's a lot of difficult things that we need to talk about um and we are also citizens of this world witnessing mass murders uh and a genocide in palestine and so we wanted to share with you some of the numbers to really um have this hit home Uh, and I learned about these numbers from this group called protect Palestine. So they have a website called protectpalestine.org and they give statistics based on, um, the Gaza health ministry. And so as of today, there are over 23,000 confirmed deaths in Gaza Um, 
And according to this website, Israel has killed 17 Palestinians for every Israeli life lost. And so like many people around the world, we are calling for a ceasefire. Um, over 9,000 children have been killed. And that's more than three times the lives lost in 9-11. That's just the number of children. Uh, over I think seven... that that part actually sits differently um, as educators. Mm -hmm. I don't even know if I would teach 9,000 students in my teaching career. Or maybe if I do the whole 25 years. But mm -hmm. I couldn't imagine... A world where every child that I taught is no longer there. Yeah. Yeah, I think actually, and I think too, for a lot of people, myself included, I think that um, it is really hard to imagine the numbers. And I think it can be easy to kind of, or I don't know, I think, I think people just kind of try to ignore it. You know, it's like, oh, well, I feel sad or angry about it, so I'm just not going to think about it. But that's not what the life situation for the people of Gaza are facing. Um, yeah. And and the sad truth about all of this stuff, and we, and we talk about this a little bit, um, that people are experiencing mass erasure all over the world. Um, and our attention is being hyper-focused right now in Gaza, but this is also happening in Africa too. And um, we, when you like experiencing like this high level of violence does something to you. Um, and for those who survive these, this violence, their body, their body will never be the same. Their minds will never be the same. Um, their emotional wealth or lack thereof will never be the same. Right. And that's something that we have to be really cognizant about too, when we talk about the impact of all of this stuff and I was having a conversation with someone who I really respected like the other day. And I was like, politics aside, people's lives have been lost. Folks who are just trying to live their everyday life, lives have been lost. And hospitals have been shut down. And children have been murdered. Um, and... I use the word murdered versus killed because killed is kind of passive and murder is a little bit more intentional. Mm -hmm. And there is so much around this issue. There's people are very polarized around this issue. Mm -hmm. And um, I struggle with folks understanding the humanity of it all. Mm -hmm. And that and that humanity extends on both sides. Let me be yes, very clear. Yes, yes. I'm not advocating for any violence to happen to anybody. Mm -hmm. 
I think that um, that they're innocent civilians who are impacted, hurt, and killed for actions of others. And I think that um, this really like kind of leans into how gun violence actually affects us as educators. And I, so like this idea of children being killed really relates to all the different school shootings that we have. Mm -hmm. And it's happening at every way, right? And I, I remember specifically when Sandy Hook happened, when an elementary school had a shooting, there was this outcry like, oh, it's an elementary school. There's going to be something different. Something's going to change. And it didn't. And so it was like, ha, huh. even when the most precious lives, little elementary school babies, the cute, the cute ones, the ones with no attitudes, the ones who are so happy to see you, when that happens and there's still nothing that changes, it makes you reflect around what is our real mission or what is our real goal. Um, and then it also makes it hard for you in this position, in this job that doesn't pay us a lot and that we do because we believe in it. We believe in the students. Uh -uh. We don't believe in, I personally have a conflicted viewpoint about the public education system. I believe in education for liberation. Mm -hmm. I believe in allowing students to develop their mindsets in order to be critical thinkers. And I believe in doing this work with the young folks. I believe those two things. And I think that having a job where I can't focus on the big thing, supporting, loving on babies, and I have to worry about outliers, like folks coming in, shooting mm -hmm. up my school is crazy. Um, I told you earlier that my the way my I don't want to put too much information out about my mm, school and situation, yeah, but yeah. the way that my my situation is set up, uh, and I keep my like the way my door is set up. I always tell my students they like some teachers allow their kiddos to line up at the door the first the last couple of minutes of class, and I always tell my babies, no, no, no. We're either behind our chairs or we're um or we're in or we're sitting down because I'm like, if something happens, I need to be able to dart to the door and close it. And if y'all are all huddled by the door, that makes it really difficult for that to happen. Mm -hmm. And these are things that I'm like that I have to think about. And as a black woman with a black child, I always live in this danger zone. Like even how I engage and talk to my son. I always are thinking about these things. And now that way of living, that way of life has seeped into my uh, professional life. And that's crazy, you know? Um, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, we're gonna, and I wanna talk also about the shooting and the murders that happened to faculty of color at UNLV on December 6th, but I wanted Michelle, before we pivot, I wanted to just give a, a few more 
stats about um, Gaza. And um, so these are stats that were from the end of December. Um, of course, they're worse now, but about one in 100 Palestinians in the Gaza Strip have been killed. So if we think about New York City, one in 100 people killed in New York City is 84,680 people. One in 100 people killed in Los Angeles is 38,490 people. Uh, Canada, one in 100 people killed in Toronto is 30,260 people. So I think these stats are helpful to try to bring it home for people to really imagine if this was where I lived, if this was my community, um, you know, how, how, how would that feel? And how many people would you know that were murdered? Um, but yeah, I mean, also like what you were saying about, um, what's happening in Gaza, like, I don't even understand why we tell young people like, no, you can't fight each other. And then as a country, we engage in these wars <laughs> that we're creating all of these weapons. It's like the same thing with nuclear weapons. Like, okay, other countries, you can't have nuclear weapons, but we're going to keep our nuclear weapons. Like all of those things don't make any sense to me at all. Um, and to follow up with what Michelle was, um, saying about school shootings, uh, as of January 4th, there have been two school shootings in the United States. Uh, in 2023, there were 82 school shootings. In 2022, there were 97 school shootings in 2021. Wait, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Gary. It is now, you're, you're saying as of January 4th. Yes. Like, school just returned. Right. On the 2nd, because the 1st is a holiday. So within the first two days, there's been two shootings, yes. which is a, like, two to two two days for two shootings which is one-to-one that's a one-to-one ratio like that that's like a guarantee like how do you start off this new year and and and, and I think that one of the things that folks fail to really realize is we always focus on the deaths we always talk about the deaths right because that's a big deal we talk about folks who have been murdered mm-hmm. and killed during the school shootings what we really don't talk about are the survivors of that. And yeah. They... Go ahead. Sorry. You know, it's interesting that you say that because, um, so on, on December 6th, for folks who don't know, um, there was a shooter, a murderer, um, not a part of the UNLV community who came onto campus. Uh, he shot four people, all faculty of color. Um, three were Asian American. One was Latina. Um, the professors who who died, um, let me share their names. Uh, Dr. Jerry Chang, uh, Dr. Patricia Navarro Velez, 
and Dr. Naoko Takemaru. Um, and just today, actually, UNLV had, uh, they call it, they called it this all hands meeting. And they were really trying to focus on that. Um, when this happened, they canceled all finals. So professors were expected to give the grade that students had earned. If students wanted to do the final project or the final exam to raise their grade, they were they had that option, but students were not required to to complete that. Um, I, I was um, at home when it happened, so I didn't have, have, have to shelter. Um, but my understanding, if my recollection is correct, there were 500, I believe it was like 500 different doors that they, the police broke down as because they had to go into every single classroom and let people out. Um, and so, yeah, I don't, I don't have any idea what my students are going to be feeling like when we start class next week. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting thing because like <clears throat> there's these like we forget that folks and students deal with trauma all the time. And so sometimes it's not school shootings, it's just gun violence within community, gun violence within spaces. Um I've been binge watching FBI most wanted uh on the break and mm -hmm. There's a lot of shooting on that show. Mm -hmm. And I had to reflect the other day, like, there's just so much violence. Like, just the idea of just shooting at someone haphazardly, without cause, without consequence. Um... For some folks, it's like an inherent right. It's their right to do it. And they believe it's their right to do it. And that right there normally coincides with the loss of someone else's right to live, to be, to breathe. And so, uh, yeah, I just, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it is this idea that I should be able to live my life. I should be able to be free of harm and cause and all of those things. And that is not what is actually happening in this country. This is not what people are experiencing. And it's crazy. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. It's it's crazy. Um, yeah. And again, it's just like, I, as, as an educator, as a learner, I just want, folks to engage in critical conversations around what they believe to be true that's important to me and if you are able to engage in these critical conversations and really say you're coming from the conversation and this is your opinion I'm not going to agree with it but whatever but it's mm -hmm. just like this idea that we're not having these critical conversations that people are not feeling the need to be thoughtful um, and to ask questions. <laughs> you know, no one wants to ask questions, um, which is 
Yeah. I, I mean, no. I, I think also the adult educators struggled to have conversations with each other. You know, I know that like, for instance, at UNLV, um, the Metro police and other officials, they keep saying to us like, don't jump to conclusions. We don't know if it's racially motivated. And it's like, whether it's racially motivated or not, the fact that he came to campus and murdered all faculty of color makes me more scared to go to campus because women of color, for instance, in math education have received death threats. And, and so like, you know, like the violence that we experience in higher education, just the verbal, you know, student pushback, you know, student critiques, all those kind of things, right? It's like the extreme of that is also a possibility. The extreme of that is like, yeah, someone is going to come kill you at work. Um, and I, 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 um, I'm not under the impression that that's never going to happen. I've never been, I've always thought that that was a possibility, sadly, because of the level of violence and racism in this country. Um, and so it just makes me scared and sad and, uh, I just wonder, you know, like when is racism and white supremacy going to not be a part of our culture? You know, in what lifetime, in whose lifetime? In whose lifetime? Yeah. Who gets to, who gets to experience this? And it, um, when you have fear and Dr. Zaretta Hammond talks about this, like, you know, your body responds. And if you're hype, if you're always nervous or always in this hyper state, you're not able to relax. And if you're not able to relax, you're not able to learn. And if you're not able to learn, you're kind of dead in the water. That's the first thing. And then also it impacts your health. How long can you live? if you don't know if you're going to live and that constant state of fear has to be exhausting mentally, emotionally. Um, yeah. Exhausting. Yeah. You, um, oh my gosh, I'm blanking on her name. She's a physician in San Francisco. Oh, she was Dr. Nadine Burke. Yes. <laughs> yeah. She, she was my is... son's doctor. What? I did not know that. Yeah. So when she first opened up her, wow. uh, her she, well, not anymore. Cause she doesn't, she doesn't, she's not in the practice anymore, but okay. Yeah. She was his doctor from like birth until maybe 10. I learned the first, she became the first, um, surgeon general of California. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I learned so much from her Ted talk and you were the one who introduced me to her. And then I started yeah. reading more about that research with the Kaiser study and the ACE score. Um, and, and how, pro and actually what's interesting too, is so like, just to be clear, ACEs is adverse childhood experiences. Oh, thank you. And yeah. that affects how like experiences kind of, and, and actually now, 
you it's more prevalent in doctors asking about ACEs scoring mm. um, when you go to the doctor, in, at least in California. Well, and you, you know what else? No, but you know what else is interesting about those studies too is that um, a lot of the findings are that the prevalence of trauma um, occurs across socioeconomic mm-hmm. backgrounds and, and across racial backgrounds. So the prevalence of trauma for young people um, is very, very present. And that's one of the things, Michelle, that I really learned from being in your classroom because that was something that you were always super cognizant of um, in your teaching was thinking about the trauma and like the buildup. Like you had this analogy of, um, you know, like shaking a soda can it was like, okay, well, um, you know, the washing machine is broken and now you have to go to school with dirty clothes. Like, okay, your dad just yelled at you about something. Your sister just, you just got into an argument with your sister, you know, and then it's like, oh, now I missed the bus to school. And by the time you get to school, it's like, how are you going to keep holding all of that in? Yeah. And the, and the thing about the soda can is you don't know the soda can's been shaken Right. You go to open it and it explodes. And so you have to be like, well, why does it explode? And, and, and the thing about it is like the person who opens up the soda can that is being sprayed with that soda, their natural reaction is that of irritation, anger, um, and, and lashing out. Right. Mm-hmm. Because they just experienced this thing and they don't know why they experienced this thing. And the soda can just from a like scientific standpoint, like all that pressure has built up. And so it's an exertion. Once you open up that thing, it's now exerted. So it fulfilled its loop, right? Mm-hmm. Pressure build up, pressure build up, pressure build up, pressure build up. Now there's an outlet for the pressure to be released and it was released. So the soda can did its thing, right? <laughs> Meaning like you only can take so much before you before there is a reaction. The person who's receiving, the, the the recipient of the shaking thing, who's seeing that, what they feel like is uh, a, an action based off of little or no reaction. Mm-hmm. Like they react, <laughs> they they open up a soda can. That's a, that's a very minimum reaction. And there's an action that, well, the action, sorry, a little action that resulted in a big reaction. Right. And then they then reacted based off of that. And so it's just like nasty tango. And if you're not cognizant of just like the world that you're in and understanding how to engage, you can find yourself reacting and causing more trauma. And it's great. And it's crazy because there's no, there's like, you do take classes, you do do some readings, but it's not the same as experiencing it. And what I think it's like sympathetic trauma. You also start to take on the trauma of. Oh yeah. 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 I think they also call it vicarious trauma. Vicarious trauma. Sorry. Mm -hmm. But I think, no, but your, your phrasing works too. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I'm really hoping that 
um, you know, this project that you're a part of, Michelle and I are working with, going to be working with a group of teachers and um, to develop some social justice math tasks. I'm hoping, I'm really hoping that someone will develop a task around what's happening in Palestine. Well, there is some work out there now, um, some critical conversations. I know that Abinilla's teaching has some resources, and I think that Rethinking Schools also has some resources. Um, if folks don't want to do their own thing, because this is also the thing that I also, um, you know, we talk about this all the time when I tread lightly around when I have these lessons, I want to make sure that we're giving out as much information because I'm not trying to tell students how to think. I want to present them with information mm -hmm. so that they can engage in their own critical thinking. Mm -hmm. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to create opportunities for students to be critical thinking so that they will stand on their own and when they're making decisions and they're when they're speaking they're speaking because they've done the research because they synthesized the information because they've made a connection to their own lives in order to um yeah to to do to do right by it all so well, and I think that's important too for people who do identify as math educators because there's so much outside of mathematics that we need to learn. You know, like I, for instance, like I am participating in a study group. It's a Nikkei abolition study group. And Nikkei just means um, people of Japanese ancestry. So it's mostly Japanese Americans. Maybe there's some Japanese Canadians. Um and we are getting together monthly to learn more about Palestine and to learn more about the history. Um, because I, that's the work that I need to do. I don't know enough about the history of, you know, why um, Israel became a place, um, how it became a place what happened to Palestinians who were living there. Um, and so that's what I'm trying to, to learn more about. Yeah. And you're able to have a conversation and engage in, in a tennis kind of a conversation. Right. Uh, so, yeah. But I think, I mean, I, I do really believe, even though like, yes, today is a heavy conversation. I also, I also want us to be inspired by young folks because it's young folks who are always the ones who are leading the way and taking action. And so, you know, it's like, we can follow their lead. What are the, what are the actions that they are organizing how can we support those actions? Um, you know, who, who uh, I know that there are different boycotts happening. There are different letters to sign on to different elected officials that you can call and email. Um, there are actions and protests that happen all throughout the country, all throughout the world. Um, 
And then I think also there's the piece of having the conversations with your own family members. You know, how do you have conversations with, with your family members who think that people should continue to be murdered? Right. And to be able to change mindsets within your sphere of influence. Yeah. Conflict happens. But it shouldn't. Conflict happens. And how do we teach? Again, like you said, we teach students to make. <laughs> to have conflict resolution that doesn't result in. Like you fight, you get suspended. Right. Yeah. And then you become an adult and it's like, and again, like, I want to be very clear that like, I'm not supporting murder on either side. Right. Right. It's just that the murder of Palestinians is just so grossly inappropriate. Right. But I'm not, I'm not supporting it all. Like, I think that folks think that if you're speaking out, about what's happening right now in Gaza, that you are condoning what happened in November mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. in Israel, and they're and they're not they're not they're not mutually like they're not they're not the same. Like I can say this is not okay, and also say that that of that 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 the that the bombing that happened at the concert was also not okay. Right, like none of that stuff was okay. Mm -hmm. And I want it to stop happening. Mm -hmm. I want it. I want it to happen for multiple reasons, because I don't want I don't want people to lose their lives. I don't want soon babies to grow up without their families. I also want to be mindful that like we're also raising children who feel like the world hates them. Do they grow up to be very productive adults? No. Anger begets anger. Hatred begets hatred. It is... <laughs> the, the world, society has shown us that if you feel this way, if you've grown up to believe this way, to have this hatred in your heart, then this is how you're going to navigate spaces. And so now we're just creating more hatred and more anger. So, um, I think, sorry, one last thing I just wanted to say that um, I think we all should be learning about is settler colonialism and all of us, right? Like I, I live um, on Southern Paiute, Nubuvi lands, you know, we're all living on unceded territories and that is also related to Gaza. And so there, there's just, there's so much history for, it's, it's not even just history, it's contemporary what's happening um, related to these systems of oppression that if you identify as an educator and a learner, I, you know, I think all, all of us educators definitely identify as learners. Um, it's something for us to, to really work on learning in order to understand what's happening in the world and then, and, and to be able to take action towards justice. Yeah. I think that, um, 
there's definitely a lot of levels to oppression. I think about this all the time that like, uh, I was just telling my family recently that um, I am going to do um, African ancestry to figure out where I'm from. Oh, like as, as the 23 and me. Yeah, but it's for African like ancestry. And I think about... Oh, okay, okay. Because every time I think about like when we talk about being here in, in the United States and America on unceded land, I think about like my people didn't ask to be here. Mm-hmm. We did not ask. And so... Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think that that's one of the reasons why they call it BIPOC, like Black, Indigenous, yeah. People of Color. Yes. Because... And it's not a it's not a hierarchical thing. It's just like there is some privilege. There not some. There is privilege for some folks of color that have land to go back to, that have language to be able to engage with. Um, mm-hmm. And that's one of the things I like. And I and I so I so I, I also think when I see what's happening in the world, I understand a little bit differently around like how is it to to be unseated from something mm-hmm. to not have something um yeah in 2013 I went to um police and did some work with USF called learn teach police and I got to see mm-hmm. little black kids speaking Garifuna mm-hmm. and I cried I cried and I was with like outside of one other woman of color it was mainly white women on the trip with me and I was just like y'all not gonna understand that my son is never gonna have this he's never gonna have a language that he can fluently say on his own Mm -hmm. and I wonder sometimes if that that's a bond when you're able to speak the language of somebody else who speaks that looks like you that's a bond anyways we're um (laughs) We all yeah, no, I, no, but I think that's an important point, Michelle, about the acronym, because it is to center the oppression that black and indigenous people experience. Um, and, and like, that's why that, that, uh, Nikkei abolition study group, it's also related to the group that I'm a part of that's, uh, working towards black reparations, because I think, and we've talked about this before, but I just think that solidarity is really important. Um, and so there, I mean, there's so much more that I could do. Um, and you know, but it's also I, exhausting I, and hard and all the things I know, but I, there, I don't, I know that there's always more work that I can do. And I have, I have this book, Michelle, that I need to read Angela Davis, Dr. Angela Davis, freedom is a constant struggle, Ferguson, Palestine, and the foundations of a moment of a movement. So it's about, you know, the, how struggles are intertwined and influenced by these systems of oppression. Um, And I think um, I have seen, like, for instance, I know the, um, the student group Afro at Harvard is a black student group that's been supporting Palestine, like so strongly. Um. And, and yeah, I've just been really inspired to see the young folks with all of the organizing work that they are doing and and they are putting their own safety on the line also because of the pushback that they have received. 
with people, I think, not understanding what they're really fighting for. Yeah. It's not an absolute thing. Mm-hmm. It's not an absolute. And I don't think that, and I think that's one of the things that people don't realize. It's not absolution. It's it's about people's safety, people's support, um, people's lives, literally their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, ch- the children, the babies, people who have nothing to do with any of this stuff, who was just born into this. And I think that that's the privilege that a lot of us face. Like you were born not into this. And so you get to have an opinion on something when you weren't born into this. And so as a young child who has nothing to do with this, except for being born into this, is now losing their lives, their families, and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And the okay. beat goes on. Um, I was going to say, it's getting late for us. It is. And um, we wanted to thank those who will continue to have this conversation, to continue to engage. Um, And we hope that if your opinion differs from us, that you will continue to listen to all the wonderful things that we have to bring to you for the rest of this year. I think that um, having critical conversations is important. Pushing people's thinking is important. That's how we grow critical humans um, and not robots. So we thank you for that. Carrie, I thank you for um, leading this conversation. Um, And um, for doing the work and the research as usual um to ground us in all of that so i i thank you girly oh well i thank you for having this conversation with me and i think um i think one of the things you know is that we don't there's a lot of things that we don't know about this about these issues but we want to talk about them so um Thank you for, um, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's like sitting in discomfort a little bit, um, but for your constant openness to always engage with me. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, we appreciate, I appreciate, but this is good stuff. So um, our next episode, I'm going to get excited because I'm just going to call it out. We have a group of, um, I'm going to say ass, badass women yes. coming on um, to talk about the work that they're doing. And we got some, we got some uh, heavy hitters coming on this, the rest of this year. We yes. continue to ask you to email us, come communicate. With us, let us know what's happening, how you're feeling. Um, sometimes I feel like we're talking to the ether, <laughs> but uh, there are people there. All 117 of y'all. Uh, thanks for coming out and helping us out. Um, yeah. 
and have a great uh, start to your semester, everybody, or trimester, if you're on the trimester system or quarter system. <laughs> okay. Yes, yes, yes. All right. Thank you so much. Um, and we're out. Bye, everybody. Bye.